0: You ready for the Super Bowl? Who's going to win? I thought the Cowboys were in it, right? Amy Rickard? Oh, sorry. That, that didn't happen. Well, that's cool. Well, hey, my name is Brian Stiverson. I'm actually one of the pastors here. I have to say that because when people hear that, they're like, you're one of the pastors here? Wait, you're a musician. Isn't there like a law about that in the Bible or something? No, like, thou shalt not let musicians become pastors? So I don't think it's in there, but it could, I, I don't know. But yes, I am one of the pastors here, so just to clarify a little, okay? But guys, I'm really excited about this time in our church life. I don't know what it is, but there's something stirring in me and stirring in the air that God is about to do something special here, that he's got a special work he wants to do, and that involves you. That involves you. God right now is looking at you, and he's got a special work that we can only do together. Will you pray with me? God, we just thank you for already being here, for letting us sense your presence and the joy that's in you, that you are hope, that you are life, that when we look to the world there's nothing there, that you alone be lifted up, Jesus. Be in this moment, be in this time. May we hear your voice, God. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Let me ask you this question. Does your life look like you thought it would? Does your life look like you thought it? Now, the first service, somebody laughed. I was like, you, just, you must have just had children, you know, right? But we look back. You know, it's like, it's like in the rearview mirror. We look back, and we see a little bit, and it seems like the pieces fit together, but it's not how we thought it would be. We didn't think it would be like this. It's sort of like looking in this, this rearview mirror, you know? You look back, and it's a little more clarity. But in the present, and when we look at the future, it's just coming at us. We can't make sense out of it. Like, what, what's going on? Life wasn't the way it was supposed to be. You know, there's a, a, a quote, and it kind of rhymes, so I feel silly doing it. I'm no Dr. Dre. I know it, that, you know. But it says, Two men looked out from prison bars. One saw mud and the other stars. When you look at that picture when you see life coming at you like that and you know life wasn't what you thought it would be do you see mud or do you see stars because so often we see mud because of the trials and the tests and the things that have happened in our lives you see we've been going over Joseph the story of Joseph found in Genesis and he was a guy who saw stars now look I'm with you guys if you're one of those half glass full people Like, you know what I'm talking about? That's just like, happy, happy, you know, no matter what, you should be happy. You're like, I'll show you a half glass full. You know, I'll chuck it. you know, that kind of thing. But Joseph wasn't that kind of guy. He was a guy who had his eyes on Jesus, had his eyes on God. That he knew no matter what the trials, the tests, the detours, the things in life, that God could make stars out of the mud. You see, so often we get in these trials and tests in life, and all we see is the mud. We're stuck. But Joseph, he went to prison. He, went to, he had, was in bars. He was in, not bars like drinking bars, but to, just to clarify. Because, you know, they had those in Egypt. So, you know, just, 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 just make sure, all right? I don't know. He might have kicked back one. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> I'm off to a good start, Brian. You may need to help. Jump in at any time, please. I don't know where I'm at. (laughs) The bar, yeah. (laughs) Let's go. (laughs) But the dream rarely looks like we thought it would look, but it's exactly as God wants it to be. The dream doesn't always look like we thought, but it looks like exactly what God wants it to be. Sometimes that's hard to hear. Because some of you are stuck right now in a trial or a test just like Joseph was. And you're wondering, where's God? All I see is mud. I don't see the stars. You see, God has spoken over your life. Some of you guys grew up hearing this. It's the first spiritual principle that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that's not just some in general sense for you Today, he's thinking about you. He has plans, and they are good for you. He knows the plans he has for you. Wherever you're at, do you hear his voice? Do you only see the mud, or do you see the stars? You see, in Psalm 33, 6, it says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by his breath, the breath of his mouth, He made all the host. You see, when you're a child of God, when you believe, and some of you here this morning are like, all I see is mud. I don't know God. Let me tell you, God does have a purpose for your life. And when you believe in Him, He speaks over your life. Those life-giving words, that same voice has purpose for you. The same mouth that spoke the world into being that creative, sustaining power that spoke into the chaos and the void and created this world and the heavens and the earth is the same voice that in the test continues to speak life-giving words over and in you. Do you hear them? Do you see the stars? But we so often forget. In Isaiah it says this, Isaiah fifty five eleven. So is my word that goes from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve its purpose for which I sent. You see, in the previous verse before this, God kind of reckons His word just like the rain. It's going to rain and it's going to grow because that's what God's word does. But sometimes we're in those dry places waiting for that rain to come down. Do you hold on to what you know in those times? The words that God has spoken over your life. You see, Joseph had the same thing. Joseph had the same thing. He had to listen to God. That's how he saw those stars. There's an interesting verse in Psalm 105. It says this, Then he, speaking of God, sent someone ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave, not off to a good start. They, other people, not God, bruised his feet with fetters, and placed his neck in an iron collar. And catch this last part, I love it. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, or vision, the Lord tested Joseph's character. And this is NLT, and so they translate the thought. But the word for word is that when it says dreams, it's the Hebrew for word. And the next um, line down where it says Joseph's character... Is the literal word of God. It's two different Hebrew words going on here. They both mean word, but the last one is the literal word of God. The first one is that prophetic word. When God spoke through the prophets, He spoke a prophetic word, and He has spoken over your life. Whether you realize it or not, He has spoken over you, specifically to you. But we get in those trials and tests, and God wants more than just the dream. He wants to prepare your heart for the dream. He tests your character. He forms your character as you wait for him to fulfill the dream. Joseph faced significant tests. You see, God's word will achieve its purpose in you. Not just the dream, but a heart that is ready for the dream. Did you hear that? He is faithful in those moments. And if we hear his voice, we know what he's up to. It's always good. You see, tests are meant to propel you towards your purpose, not to trap you. But the problem is, for many of us, all we see is a trap. All we see is the mud. That's all we see. And for a lot of you, you've said, The dream has died. I've messed up. I failed. The detours have killed me. And that's where some of you are. Because in those moments, God is saying, I spoke over you. Now I'm going to build your character. You see, that's the problem. You see, we've forgotten what God has said in the light is that same word that will sustain us in the dark times, in the valleys, in the trials, and in the tests, in the prisons. That that same word he spoke over your life is still valid. But the problem is we don't hear that still, small voice. You know, most of you know my son Jason. And I just found out a a funny thing that probably shouldn't even be saying from stage. But apparently one of the the worship team was watching him last Sunday and he peed on her boot or something. So I'm sorry that my son did that. But anyways, that's kind of my son in a nutshell, just to give you a, a picture of him. But the kid is awesome. He's like, you know, kid kamikaze. He's running everywhere. He talks like crazy. He's just wild. He's awesome. But when he's in a group of people and the chaos and the loudness and he can't listen to that one voice, That's saying, hey, follow instructions. Hey, do this. This is what's best for you. He can't do that. And so there's this thing that my mom was telling me about that we're going to start doing with him where you take him home and he starts at a table and he starts doing something and you stand behind him and you whisper, hey, Jason, do that. Move that block. Do that. That's what's best for you. And, you know, all the chaos is going around. But see, over time... He learns to block everything else else out and listen to that still, small voice that's whispering, it's going to be okay. Don't forget the word I spoke over you. You can make it. You see, the reason why we get into our trials and all we see is mud is we haven't trained ourselves to listen to that still, small voice, that voice that is always whispering you. All we do is we listen to the chaos, but the more you begin to listen to his voice, then you can block everything else out And you begin to see that God takes the mud and makes stars out of every situation of life. You see, we've forgotten to trust in what he said in the light is the same word that he's spoken whenever we're going through dark times. Have you blocked everything else out? Do you listen to that still, small voice? Can you hear it in those moments? when you feel like the vision has died, when your purpose has died, that life hasn't turned out like you thought it would turn out. See, your ability to hear and trust and obey in those moments, just like Joseph did, affects generations to come. It's that serious. And you need to hear that. It affects your family now, but it affects your children's children and their children. It affects the people you work with now. Are you listening to that voice? Is our church listening to that voice? Do you hold on to what you know in those times? That the dream hasn't died? That he has and will do more than you could possibly imagine according to his power in Christ Jesus that's work at work in you? That he is propelling you and preparing your heart to be like his own? You see, test, shape, our hearts, to become like God's hearts. His heart. His word shapes your heart in those times. Remember the character building for the vision and dream he has for your life. His purpose is not just to fulfill the dream, but to create in you a new heart ready for the dream. Think about Joseph. What would he have been like if God just said, here it is. He would have been a cruel dictator, unloving, unforgiving, prideful, But God shaped his heart, shaped his character in those times. He saw the purpose. He saw the stars. God is preparing your heart. He is propelling this church. He's asking us to rise up. He's asking you as an individual to rise up, to see that he is preparing you for an amazing thing, that he is stirring this place. See, I think those tests that Joseph went through are common to all of us. Think about what he went through. Sex, power, money, pride. I don't know about you, but I've been through some of those tests, and some of them I've failed. What about you? And I just want to be up front. Some of you are like, oh, I've already blown it. Sex, money, pride, Just that's it. Dream's dead. no. God is the God of second chances. God is the God of the mulligan. He's the God of the do over. He is your God, and He wants to see you rise above the test. He wants to see you accomplish it and pass the test, just like Joseph did. He wants to teach you in those moments to build your character and to prepare you for the dream and vision that He has for you and for this church. What is your heart like now? What's the condition of your heart? Do you see and hear his voice? That still small voice that's whispering to you, hey, over here, the dream's not dead. It's not over. I got you. I know you by name. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you hear his voice? Just quickly, I want to take you through some of the things that Joseph learned. We don't have time to really get into it. But here's some of the things Joseph learned to be faithful in the little things and that God would entrust him with bigger things. think he went from Potiphar. If you remember Ed's sermon, Potiphar was sort of the secret service um, to Pharaoh. And here's Joseph, suddenly put in charge of everything. And then eventually, he's going to be equal to Pharaoh. He was faithful in the little things. And so God gave him bigger things. See, he had the gift of administration and leadership and the gift of prophecy. And he was using it at the very beginning on his brothers. Remember when he was prideful and arrogant, had this thing on? Hey, you guys aren't doing that right. Because that's what leaders and admin do, right? Well, the ones who you don't want to work for it all the time. Hey, you're not, I'm going to go tell. See, the gifts were there, but his heart wasn't ready for what God wanted for him. God had to shape his heart. To prepare him for the dream, to prepare his character, he learned to be faithful. You see, we think the things in our life are inconsequential, but to God, the little things are important. Whether it's managing your money or whether it's a job you don't like, God is looking, saying, I've got more for you than just this. But do your best. Stop complaining. Find joy in these little things. And I'll show you big things. I'll take you to places He learned to be faithful with power and prosperity. Think about it. He's in prison. And then the very next day, he is equal to Pharaoh. God can change your circumstances like that. And he's given a signet ring, which is Pharaoh's, which means he has all the power. He gets fine linen and riches, and Pharaoh hooks him up a wife, you know, Suddenly, he's got everything. But what does he do with that? Where is his heart in it? And power. Here's the deal. The Bible says all power comes from God. If you remember Jesus' word, when he was, they were on trial and they were beating him, and Jesus basically said, look, you wouldn't have this authority or power over me unless the Father had given it to you. You see, God is the source of power, and he gives it. Now, what we do with it, we're held accountable for. The power he gives us. And whoever you are, I don't care who you are, you have some level of authority and power. It may be with your dog, Frisco. That just came to me. I don't know where that came from. It may you're just a parent. It may be you manage people. I don't know what it is, but God is giving you some level of authority and power. Are you faithful with it? Are you faithful with what he's giving you? You see, you can use power for good and for God's glory, or you can use power for selfish ends. What about you? You learn to be faithful in purity. This is a big one. How's that porn addiction? Living together outside of the marriage covenant? Just having sex freely? I know those are hard things to hear. We all fail in some way. But those will keep you from hearing that still, small voice. We see people all the time. They're like, I don't hear from God. What do you want for my life? And we say, well, here's some things you know, that God's will for your life to do. But they won't do them. We can't pick and choose what we want to be obedient in. We have to say, I will trust you enough to do it. And he learns humility. See, Joseph was prideful. Aren't we all prideful? You just, let's admit it. Yeah? At some point, somehow, all of us are prideful. Think about it. Joseph had a right to be bitter and angry and prideful. I mean, he had some amazing gifts, right? You know, when he interpreted that dream in prison, and, you know, the, the baker, whoever it was, the cupbearer, Forgets about him, doesn't even tell Pharaoh that he's the one that did it, and he stays in prison two more years. He had the right to be bitter and angry. Hey, I deserve credit. I'm the big shot. Or when you do the right thing and you suffer, remember when he was tempted sexually and he ran away, yet he lands in prison for doing the right thing? Are you a person that blames others? Bitterness and anger will kill you. Pride comes before a fall. You see, Joseph passed his test. But if you're like me, I have failed. But praise be to God. Like I said earlier, he is the God of second chances, he is the God of the do over. He wants you to pass the test and go through those trials. But you see, it's not until Joseph meets up with his brothers in Genesis 45 that Joseph realizes the true purpose of how God has shaped his heart. Catch this. The purpose is to save lives, is to save lives. See, you know, now he's been in Pharaoh's court. He interpreted a dream. He got everybody prepared for this drought and this famine that was coming. All the other nations are coming to Egypt because Joseph's skill in administration and leadership has produced enough grain that he's selling it to the world during this famine. Life's pretty good. He ends up having two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And basically he's like, I named him because God has brought me through the sorrow and God has blessed me. And guess what? Next chapter, guess who shows up? His brothers His family that had abandoned him. The next chapter. And Joseph's looking, you know, Egyptian, you know, kind of like walk like an Egyptian thing, the song. Sorry. And anyway, they don't recognize him. They don't see who it is. And they're bowing before him. And he's like, oh, the dream. That dream. And so he kind of tests them. And I think the reason why he does it is because he knows that God has tested his heart. That God has shaped his heart. God has grown him. And he sort of tests his brothers to say, Hey, is, is, has God grown your hearts? Because you abandoned me. You left me for dead. Because even when they're in his presence, they're saying, we're good people, we're not spies, we're da-da-da. He's like, well, wait a second, buddy. In his mind, I know you. Have you grown? Plus, he wants to see his brother Benjamin because they're both from the same mother, Rachel. And so he's like, go back Here's some grain, but do not come again unless you bring Benjamin. And so they're like, great, we can't do that. Jacob, our father, will die if Benjamin comes. Joseph is already dead, they think. If Benjamin comes and something happens to him, that's it. Jacob's dead. Our dad's dead. So they go and they wait as long as they can. But on their way back, they find that all the silver they had brought to buy the grain had been put back into their sacks that they're taking back with them, and they're scared. So they wait a long time until Jacob calls them in and says, Look, you got to go back to Egypt. We're, this famine is crazy. We're dying. you got to go get food. And they say, But, but Father Jacob, they say, he said, Don't return unless you, you bring Benjamin. So Judah steps up and says, Look, I'll take full responsibility for him. And so they take Benjamin back, and he tests them again, and when they leave... Joseph puts his very cup, it's a very significant cup to him, and puts it in Benjamin's sack. And on the way there, they find, in the bag, in the sack, they find that and they said, we're dead. So they go to return it and they're like, great. What are we going to do? And at some point in the story, Joseph can't contain himself. And with deep forgiveness and compassion and tears, he reveals himself. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. See, all the nations came to Joseph. For two years now there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt." Later he says, after Jacob dies, the brothers are a little concerned, like, okay, I know he said all that, but now we're in trouble. Let's go back to him and ask forgiveness. And look at what Joseph says. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. The saving of many lives. You see, that's our purpose. He realized that the dream and the vision was not that his brothers would bow down before him, but that God had sent him there to save lives, Jews and Gentiles, Egyptians, everybody, and to save his family and his brothers, for God had promised Messiah through them. He was sent there to save them. You see, this is the true goal of vision and purpose for your life. It's to save lives. If you are missing that, we are missing out as a church and as a people of God because that is why God has called us to save lives. Why did Jesus come? To save the lost. To save those who desperately needed him. Why are we here? To save lives. Why does TBA exist? We exist to save lives. He chose you. He chose me. He chose this church. Let me say it again. He chose you to save lives. You see, our purpose is to point others to the reconciler, Jesus, and to rescue people from going to hell. The church is the hope of the world because we have Jesus Christ living within us. And people need him. Check out what it says in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. We think God's mad. You may think God is mad at you this morning. No, he died on a cross for you. He suffered for you. We deserve death. But he took the penalty of our sins upon himself because while we were still his enemies, he loves us and loves you. He is not counting your sins against you when you say, forgive me. And he has he committed to us the message of reconciliation. He's committed to us. If I was God, I wouldn't plan it that way. But you, that's his plan. You are his plan to save lives. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And so God, were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Are you saving lives? Are you bringing others to know Jesus? Joseph realized the purpose that God had shaped his heart for was to save lives, and I believe it's the same thing for us. It's the same thing for this church. We are here to save lives. There was an old song in the '70s, by this guy named Keith Green, and I love it. He had the crazy big fro and a piano player, pretty awesome. But he wrote this song that and sometimes when I listen to it, I cry. other times I listen to it and I'm offended. Other times I listen to it, and I'm like, "God, help me to, to be like you." But it's called Asleep Sleep in the Light." Do you see? Do you see? All the people sinking down? Don't you care? Don't you care? Are you going to let them drown? How can you be so numb, not to care if they come? You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. Oh, bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. You know, it's all I ever hear. No one aches. No one hurts. No one even sheds one tear. But he cries. He weeps. He bleeds. And he cares for your needs. And we just lay back and keep soaking it in. Can't you see it's such a sin? Because he brings people to your door and you turn them away and you smile and say, God bless you, be at peace. And heaven weeps. Are we asleep in the light? People are desperate for him. Do we shed a tear? Because he shed a tear for us. Because he sacrificed for us. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm trying to create the need God loved us. Why can't we love others? Why do we choose our own thing? We're here to save lives. God loves people. Do you? In Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, it says, Be imitators, mimics of God. Therefore, as dearly beloved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God and in Romans 12 1, therefore I urge you brothers in the view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices living sacrifices just like Jesus did holy and pleasing to God this is your spiritual act of worship you see a living sacrifice is a blank page that says I don't have rights because when I thought I had rights You loved me enough to die on the cross for me. Here I am. I'm a blank sheet. Write your words on me. Write your dream on me, God. Here I am. Use me. Use me. A living sacrifice surrenders all. Not some things. Not a few things. All things. And it says, send me, Lord. Use me. I'll lay down my life for others. I'll shed the tears like you did. Here I am, ready to do your will. I'll suffer for the sake of others so they can know you. I'll love. You see, a living sacrifice crawls upon the altar and lets the fire of the Holy Spirit consume him or her and empowers that person to save lives. Have you surrendered all? Have you given it all to him? Or do you live in fear? What happened to the church in Acts that with boldness declared the name of Jesus, that when they were described, the people in there, they were described as people full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and they spoke out with boldness. You see, we can't do anything apart from Him, and you may have fears, but when you listen to that still, small voice, and you step out in faith, and you take the risk of the faith that God is prompting in you, God will change lives and save lives through you. In Second Thessalonians one eleven, it says, May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. You see, your faith is prompting you to do things. And it's not like some burning bush experience. And that's why we ignore it. Because we're like, God, show me the sign. He's like, I'm prompting you right now. Go talk to that person. Are you at the bank? Hey, that person needs hope. But we ignore it because it's not this big experience. But God is prompting you all the time. You have to step out. You have to step out and risk all. He has called you to save lives. Are you saving lives? Maybe today you need to remember why you're here. Maybe you're a Christ follower and you're like, I've forgotten. I've forgotten. My heart is cold and hard. I have forgotten what he did for me. I've forgotten what I am supposed to take to other people. Maybe today you want to say, God, here I am. I surrender all. I want to be that living sacrifice. I give it to you. Luke 19.10. Jake, you can come up. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. You see, I'm just a hopeless sinner that was found by my Savior, Jesus Christ, had an amazing amount of sin, but Jesus said, I love you anyway, and now I am found. What about you? You see, you can't save people until you're saved. Maybe some of you are here today, and you're like, does God have a purpose for my life? Does God really love me? He couldn't love me. Yes, he loves you. He died on the cross for you. I want to ask the prayer team to come up and the lights to come down. The prayer team will be here at any point in the rest of the service. And at any point, I want to invite you to come down and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. There's some of you today that know you need to give your life to Him. Some of you that know that God is knocking on the door of your heart. Today is the day. This is your moment. Paul said that this is the day of salvation. Do not let it pass by. There may not be another moment. Today is your moment to come. And maybe some of you are believers And you realize, I've gotten far away from my purpose in Jesus. Maybe some of you need to come today and just bow here and say, God, here I am, a living sacrifice for you. Maybe you need to come pray for your friends and your family. Maybe you're caught in that trial and you failed. God is the God of second chances. Come and pray with somebody. They won't tell anything to anybody about what's going on in your life. But these are moments when God's spirit wants to move. We are such a private people. But God has called us to community. Jesus said to make the good confession. Confess me before men. Maybe he's calling to give your life to him for the first time. Confess him before men. Come up here and pray to receive Jesus. Any of them will be available. Brian, I want to ask you to stand too. He'll be here and be up here. In Ephesians it says this. God saved you. By his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Will you receive that free gift of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ today? You see, he took your sins upon the cross. He loved you that much. Today he's calling you to surrender your life to him. Even now, he's knocking on the door of your heart. Do not delay. Do not ignore it. That is God's voice. Come, and let's stand and worship. Anytime during worship, you can sing. You can come up here. Anytime you can come up here and bow before him and dedicate your life to him. I urge you, come, give your life to Jesus today.